Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We can try and have informed hope by truly conceptualizing when the vector is injected, how it's going to kind of replicate and take over and flush out all the defective protein and leave the good. And, you know, all of that theory is there, but there's still a lot of unknown. And when it comes to a lot of unknown, you, you tend to say, well, the sky's the limit. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today, we're going to continue to discuss Lincoln's Shot, our eight-part serial narrative. You can read the entire series at tampabay.com slash Shot. But here on the podcast, we're walking through the chapters one by one. And it starts with a reading from Lane. This is Chapter 7. Today's topic, The Weight. Their backyard always had been a jungle. Thick palmettos, thorny vines, tangled mounds of underbrush. No one went out there, or even saw it. Maggie Hall German and Anthony DeLuna kept the sliding glass doors covered so the light wouldn't bother Lincoln. But on a sunny afternoon in October 2017, Maggie opened the curtains. What's Daddy doing out there? she asked Lincoln, who was propped up on his bed in the living room. Is he working? Yes, he's sweating. For almost four years, they'd hold up in their Tampa home, held hostage by Lincoln's illness, knowing every day he might die. He had a rare terminal muscular disease called X-linked myotubular myopathy. No one had expected him to live to his second birthday. So Maggie and Anthony hadn't dared to picture what Lincoln might be like, what he might be able to do someday. But now that they had a date to get that shot on November 6th, now that the impossible seemed real, they begin letting themselves dream. What if Lincoln could breathe on his own, talk, taste sausage gravy and biscuits? They started making a life list, the opposite of a bucket list. They wanted to take him camping to see fireflies. Anthony wanted his son to sit beside him on the sofa and play Super Mario Brothers. Maggie wanted to dance with her boy at his bar mitzvah. He's going to want a swing set, Anthony had told Maggie late one night with a big slide and a rock-climbing wall. Kids like that stuff. The next day, Anthony went to Sam's Club and bought a tiller, rake, clippers, weed killer, mulch. He hacked through thick stalks, tore down spiky vines, planted grass. In a couple of weeks, he tripled the open space in their yard. Look how much Daddy's already cleared out, Maggie said. They didn't tell Lincoln about Anthony's plans. They wanted the playground to be a surprise. How do you explain to a preschooler who spent his entire life plugged into machines, lying limp on a bed, that soon he might be running around? Lincoln had seen videos of kids playing on YouTube. He'd seen boys batting baseballs on TV. He'd never asked his parents why he couldn't do those things, why he could barely move. And they'd never tried to explain. They didn't want him to feel sorry for himself or worry. You have your mind, Anthony kept telling him. You're smarter than them all. Still, Maggie and Anthony wanted to tell him things were about to change. 
Would he understand? How much hope should they give him? Lincoln's favorite movie then was the animated Sing. In it, a hefty hog named Gunther, who has a thick German accent, brags about piggy power. Each time he performs, Gunther flattens his front legs against his side, points his hooves to the sky, and wriggles his shoulders to show the super strength he's about to exhibit. You're going to get some special medicine that will give you lots of piggy power, Maggie told Lincoln just before Halloween. You're going to get super strong. In early November, Maggie texted Angelica Santiago Townsend, wishing her son good luck. Jamie, who lived in Melbourne, was going to be the third boy in the country given the gene therapy, the first treated at the University of Florida. Jamie got his piggy power today, Maggie told Lincoln that night. Yours is coming soon. The next week, someone from UF called with bad news. The gene therapy had triggered an adverse reaction. Lincoln would have to wait to get his shot, probably until January. Maggie collapsed, weeping. They'd been hoping for so long, and the cure had been so close. Another two months felt like forever. Three boys with X-linked myopathy, including the Orlando toddler who'd been waiting for his shot at UF, had died in the last three weeks. She sent an email to a dentist, the biotech company sponsoring the clinical trial. You have to speed up, she wrote. Boys are dying. When Lincoln turned four on December 14th, no one celebrated. Maggie asked her family to postpone the party until he got the shot, until he could blow out his own candles. That night, as they were singing Lincoln to sleep, Maggie got an email from UF. Lincoln had a new date, January 4th. The next day, his speech therapist made him a paper chain with 21 links. Each morning, he ripped off a ring while Maggie counted down the days. Another email came at the end of December. Doctors at UF were still trying to figure out what had gone wrong, why that first boy had gotten so sick. They wanted to make sure the next patient wouldn't have the same reaction. They wouldn't give Maggie specifics, but from talking to Angelica, she knew that Jamie's heart had swollen after the shot. His body was trying to reject the new protein. Doctors had put him on steroids and anti-rejection medication. Now, two months later, he was home and doing better. He was starting to show signs that the shot was working. Still, doctors said, Lincoln would have to wait. Again. They gave him another date, less than a week away. January 10th. Maggie's family wanted to be there when Lincoln got his shot, but by the time her aunt and uncle flew in from Iowa and her mother and stepfather drove down from the panhandle, UF had canceled for the third time. This time, doctors wouldn't say when the trial might resume. How can they keep doing this to us, Maggie said. Lincoln was getting more uncomfortable having more trouble breathing. As his body grew, gravity was taking a toll on his bones and organs. He couldn't bear being upright in his stander or even stroller. Maggie tore down the paper chain and stopped talking about piggy power. Anthony quit working on the playground. On January 10th, the day Lincoln was supposed to get his shot, his family instead gathered around his bed in the living room. Maggie propped her cell phone on the bookshelf and clicked on the speaker. Then she hit record. She told everybody, it's about to start. That afternoon, Audentis was going to update investors. Through the company's website, Lincoln's family could listen to a live stream. Since UF wouldn't tell them what was going on, they hoped the company's CEO would. Maggie's sister, Katie, had moved out to go to school in Fort Lauderdale, so Maggie promised to text her an update. I'm so nervous, Maggie whispered, snuggling on a sofa against her aunt. It better be good news. Anthony and his mom were on another couch. She just kept squeezing his knee. 
They all sat staring at the cell phone. We have a big 2018 coming up and we're really excited, Matt Patterson announced on the webcast. We're happy to report early data here. So far, he said three boys have been dosed, ages nine months, two and a half, and four years. The baby had improved the most. He already was breathing on his own, able to swallow, eat, and hold up his head. He could even sit up. If that doesn't inspire you, Patterson said, I don't know what would. Anthony's mom gasped. Maggie ran to the bathroom to get tissues. It's likely that we'll continue to see positive results, even in those who've been living with disease for some time, Patterson said. So we're going to go ahead and treat three additional boys. Maggie started screaming. Anthony's mom got up to kiss Lincoln. Isn't that wonderful? asked Maggie's aunt. Anthony was silent and still. Soon, everyone was staring at him. Did you hear that? Maggie asked, coming over to sit in his lap. I can't wait for us to be able to live like a normal family. Anthony shook his head. I won't believe it until the needle's in his arm. They held hands around the dining room table that night while nurse watched Lincoln, and Anthony led his family in prayer. Thank you for the news today. Please embolden us to stay firm and strong. He and Maggie sang a healing prayer in Hebrew. Then, over taco salad, the talk turned to science and God. During their first year as a couple, Maggie and Anthony celebrated Christmas and Hanukkah, but seldom went to church or synagogue. Over the last year, though, they'd found themselves searching for a spiritual buoy. They'd started talking to the rabbi at Congregation Beth Am in Tampa, the synagogue Anthony's great-grandparents had attended. They were trying to take the rabbi's advice to stop asking, why us, and start thinking, what now? He told them to celebrate their blessings. They had their son, and they had hope. But what is God's role in all of this, Maggie had asked Rabbi Jason Rosenberg. The rabbi looked at his lap, then locked eyes with her. I don't believe God is a puppet master controlling the world, or that he sat up there in the high heavens, looked at you, and said, I'm going to give their child a disease. If that's how God works, I need a new job. The rabbi continued, One of the things that people say that makes me want to punch them in the face is, God doesn't give anyone more than they can handle. He does, all the time. And it's okay to be angry at God, the rabbi told Maggie. Just be sure to be grateful. The fact that this gene therapy is even coming, he said, is a miracle. At dinner with their family, Maggie related some of the rabbi's insight and wondered whether God had a hand in helping cure Lincoln. Could it really be a coincidence, she asked, all this science coming together, finding the carrier dog and millionaire investors, just as the government was approving groundbreaking trials? You know they're talking about one day being able to treat MTM boys with the gene therapy before they're even born, in utero, Maggie told her family. Eventually, they might even be able to cure carriers. Anthony laughed. Wouldn't that be the ultimate slap in the face of God? If God had done his job, we wouldn't have to be here messing with genetics, said Maggie's aunt and adoptive mother, Donna German. We already buried three boys. That's too many for one family. No one was trying to talk them out of getting Lincoln the shot or dwelling on the dangers of such a revolutionary treatment. But on Maggie's Facebook group, a debate was waging. A mom of two XLMTM boys who'd lived to be college age, long past the clinical trial cutoff of five years old, posted that gene therapy was morally wrong. God had made her boys the way they were. Anthony's mom, Rhonda Clark, urged Anthony and Maggie to stop worrying. Just let God take care of this, she said. He made Lincoln. Why don't you let him just take over? It's not that easy, Anthony said, his voice tight. As long as he's willing to hold on, we have to keep fighting for him. 
Whatever happens, Maggie said, we have to be able to say that we did everything we could. Maggie called UF a month later. They still didn't have any news. A couple weeks after that, she called again, then emailed. Finally, a doctor told her the trial was on hold there. He wouldn't say why or what would happen next. He couldn't tell her what was going on at other test sites. Maggie's despair turned to anger. She asked Anthony, are we going to be left behind? The next week, on another Adante's webcast, Maggie learned that three more boys would be given the low dose in the coming weeks. Would those boys be chosen from other hospitals in other cities? Could Lincoln get the treatment somewhere else? In late February, Lincoln started running a fever and gagging on globs of mucus. Maggie and Anthony gave him antibiotics to fight off what they thought was a cold. A week later, his blood pressure dropped, his body bloated, his tongue went white. Maggie and Anthony and a series of home health nurses tried to stabilize him, but Lincoln was in too much distress. For the first time, they rushed him to the emergency room. At St. Joseph's Children's Hospital, doctors told them that Lincoln's liver was hemorrhaging. A black mass of blood was covering most of it. He needed emergency surgery. The antibiotics could have wiped out his platelets, causing the bleed, doctors said. Something could have bruised his side, causing the organ to rupture. Or he could have some sort of liver disease. As nurses wheeled Lincoln away on a gurney, as weak as he was, he reached out and picked up his red-rimmed mirror. Maggie and Anthony watched through tears as he stared at them behind him, getting smaller and smaller. Lincoln's liver was too soft to sew closed, too covered in blood to cauterize. Surgeons had to create a mesh casing to hold it together. No one thought he would survive, except Maggie. In the hospital waiting room, she kicked chairs and flipped tables, shouting over and over, begging her son, You're not allowed to die. Hold on. Fight. You can't leave. You're about to be cured. She reached out on Facebook, asking for prayers. When Lincoln came through, she posted videos of him in his hospital bed, giving a weak thumbs up. He had a thick scar from his chest to his pelvis. One of her late-night live streams got 7,000 views. Maggie told Anthony, I don't even know 500 people. After eight days, doctors finally discharged Lincoln. They wanted him back in a couple of months for a liver scan. If the bleeding had been caused by antibiotics or a bruise, his liver would be healed by then. But if the organ was diseased, doctors would need to figure out treatment and remove him from the clinical trial. March crawled by, then April. Lincoln went back to working with his therapists. A liver scan showed no sign of disease. In May, Maggie learned that two more boys had gotten the shot in Chicago and Los Angeles, both babies. That made a total of five patients. I thought whatever safety concern they had, it was for the whole trial, all the sites, not just UF, Maggie said to Anthony. This is so unfair. Lincoln was supposed to be boy number four. They had his dose waiting in the freezer. Maggie worried that Lincoln was starting to focus on things he couldn't do. He kept flexing his feet, saying he wanted to run, signing that he wanted to eat a granola bar. June brought no news. July, only more questions. No one at UF would tell Maggie and Anthony officially what was going on, or even if Gainesville was still a test site. One doctor ordered them not to contact the drug company, saying such interaction would jeopardize Lincoln's enrollment in the trial. Through other MTM moms and some hushed conversations at the hospital, Maggie learned that UF wanted to change the protocol for the gene therapy and add an anti-rejection drug so other boys wouldn't have adverse reactions. But that would mean going back to the Food and Drug Administration and starting the whole process over. 
A dentist didn't want to do that. Only one boy had been treated had a bad response, and he was doing well now. So the internal review board at UF, which regulates clinical trials, and the biotech company. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Which sponsored the trial were at an impasse. Until they could work something out, UF wasn't going to dose any more boys. It reported concerns to the FDA about subject privacy and the management of adverse effects. Lincoln was getting tangled in bureaucratic safety nets. We're working on it, doctors there assured Maggie. We'll get back to you. She couldn't concentrate. She was constantly distracted, anxious, angry. She had to stop talking to Angelica because she couldn't stand to hear how much Jamie was improving. At the end of July, she emailed UF. You're failing Lincoln. She felt like she was failing him too. So um, at the end of chapter six, there's all this enthusiasm and excitement and the playground, man, the playground was killer. Lane comes in and says, oh my God, he's clearing out the backyard. (laughs) And both of us are like, oh no, don't do that. (laughs) Shit. It was like he had to do something. You know what I mean? The weight was driving them crazy and and, it was so hopeful. It was like the the most physical activity I'd seen him embark on, you know. And we were, I mean, we were hopeful too. And then and then as this chapter sort of unfolds, you get to see how everything gets delayed. And and um, it's really, it was heartbreaking. I mean, just watching this, this, um, you know, we, we, we always knew that there would be a part of the series that would be the wait right before the shot. Um, and, you know, we were going to end on the shot. And so we're waiting just like they are for, for some resolution. Yeah, this was a year. I think that chapter basically spanned a year. And, I, I mean, the most egregious thing to me was them not getting any information whatsoever. I mean, yeah. Maggie had to be a detective. You know, she had to be a reporter. She had to keep calling and asking and asking and calling and going behind the scenes and trying to put pieces together on her own. And they wouldn't tell her anything, you know. And she's a She's a social worker. Her job is like to help people through crises, and there was nobody for her. I mean, when, I thought when when the University of Florida told her don't call the drug company, it was like just completely stymieing any opportunity she had to learn anything. You know, that felt so unfair. I mean, the other mom from Florida who was waiting was just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to wait and let them tell me what's happening. And Maggie was like, hell no, I'm going to figure this out. And can I take him somewhere else, you know? They were uh, not that we're as important, obviously, but they we weren't getting anything either. Nobody right. was. Um, people were obviously having this behind the scenes battle, um, and you know, giving everybody the benefit of the doubt, probably doing it for the sake of the what they thought was the right thing to do, in each case, but not talking to us, and certainly not not talking to them, which was really you know whatever information we were getting was really coming from them, and the information they were getting was really coming from whatever kind of arm twisting they were doing, or if they ran into somebody at the doctor's or the hospital, 
Um, which is really, I, I mean, that was one of the things like, no matter even if you give everybody the benefit of the doubt, it was hard to watch that they weren't being given, I mean, at least being told what to expect and, and why right. Lincoln was getting caught in all of this. And no idea if it was over or if they just had to hold on a little longer or, right. you know, she was trying to play by the rules and wait till they said, oh, we're up and running again. But in the meantime, University of Florida is like not even looking for another date there, you know, and, and I agree. I, th- I think that everybody was trying to do the right thing. I mean, I understand if UF thought that was a problem that they didn't want to jeopardize another kid, you know, but Maggie and Anthony, you know, to the, and I understand that the drug company wouldn't want to, you know, do something that would be problematic because then their trial is going to be messed up. But Maggie and Anthony really felt like, God, it should be our decision. You know, right. it should be our decision if we want to put our kid at this risk or not. And what really, what other hope did they have, you know? few things about this installment, um, and I was kind of listening again as Lane was was reading it out loud, but um, you they shared a lot of emails with you. So we were able to have some firsthand reporting about what they were being told and some of the back and forth. And, and of course, Maggie shared text, and Maggie was on Facebook Live all the time. And, you know, they, um, they really – as as subjects of a story go, they were pretty amazing in terms of really buying into the idea that you needed access to all that they were going through. So even though we're, they were being stonewalled, they certainly didn't do that to us ever. I mean, no, and and just in terms of a reporting um, tip here, I had very early on um, requested and kept requesting interviews with the doctors at the University of Florida. And we'd done those pretty early in the reporting, like before the clinical trial was even underway. So at this point in time in the story, when they started shutting us out, it was really good that we had gotten them on camera and in a sit-down interview a year, a year or so earlier because they completely stonewalled us out of, as of this point, just like they were doing Maggie and Anthony. But I had quotes from them and interviews with them you know, much earlier in the process, which was good. I think one of the things that you're so good at, and and it's really on display in this story too, is like, you know, you, you're not just chronicling from one moment to another, but you're helping readers understand just what's at stake here. And and that moment when you talk about having to tell him, like, like, and think about it. So this is a child. This is a this is he's he's two and three and four years old. And when do you tell that child that what he's really up against and and how do you tell him what's about to happen, maybe? Um, so I love that explanation where you, where you actually sort of put us in in Maggie and Anthony's shoes and you say, okay, how do you tell a kid? How, how do you even make sense of that to a child? And um, And again, the reporting that comes back and says, oh, well, the way they figured it out is this animated film. <laughs> and it's sort of like, so piggy, piggy power, you know, becomes this thing, um, which is brilliant. But like, you know, not just, so you're not, as a reporter, you're not just going there and, and capturing what's happening, but you're really trying to draw back a little bit and putting it into context and helping the reader understand that something that maybe the rest of us take for granted, they can't. They've got to it's not just they're dealing with all this stuff and then they've got a child that doesn't really understand. How could he? How could a four-year-old even in normal circumstances really understand the big picture? Well, you you know me, like one of the things I like most is to get inside the heads of my subjects, you know, and here I have a little boy who has a lot going on in his head but can't communicate at all and I can't interview him, 
you know, and I think my first question almost every single time that I was with them, which was sometimes, you know, one or two times a week for up to three years, you know, was what does Lincoln know? What does Lincoln right. think? What does Lincoln understand? You know, and because I, I could ask him that, but he would sign back and I couldn't interpret it. You know, right. it's not even like real sign language. But th- but I, I was very, very cognizant of what's going on in his little brain and what does he understand? And because we would talk around him and above his bed all the time, you know, like with these pretty grave conversations. And he he was keying in. He he knew, you know, and so I, I think that was definitely a, a very um, pointed part of my uh, of my interview each time. Like, what does Lincoln know? Mm-hmm. What what does he get? You know, that's I know. That's a point that John Pendigraf has made, who, uh, the photographer, uh, videographer in this project. He he said it's you know unlike most children who are busy in their world doing their own thing and playing and all this stuff. Here's Lincoln, who's like the heart of everything, and. Even though they may not be talking to him about it all, he's hearing all this stuff that's going on. And so he's probably kind of a, older than some other kids on some level. Definitely. Right? His, his emotional intelligence is it's way off the scale for a normal four-year-old. I wanted to point out one other thing. About, we're, we're, we make a couple other points about this one. But um, we wanted to work in faith at some point here. And the whole idea of faith um, – uh, they they became people with, with very strong faith, but it, it, you wanted it to feel natural, not like, okay, we're going to stop or we're going to just throw in from time to time, here's a reference to God or something. And um, Lane found a perfect way to do it, which because that night when they're sitting at their dining room table and they just start into a conversation, so she takes that scene and uses it to take us there. And then within that scene, then breaks to give you some context and some backstory and we love the rabbi the rabbi <laughs> i think the rabbi is great if i had if i had been raised with somebody a religious leader like that i think i would have really enjoyed that but like because he he seems so down to earth he he let us come and sit in with the counseling session for almost an hour and a half yeah. which which not a lot of religious leaders would agree to you know he i mean maggie was great about brokering that for us but we were actually there through these conversations right. in real time, which was amazing. So, but you don't, so that scene doesn't make it in, but you, that reporting makes it in because you're able to sort of weave it in here. And, and again, remind people of this family's background and, and sort of it all goes in there. And another part that we worked in was these older boys, just briefly, but um, Lane had an interview with two young men who had made it to 19 and 20 with uh, X-linked myotubular myopathy, and that's really, really rare. And she did it through computer conversation and Skype and everything. Um, And they didn't quite fit anywhere in this series. We couldn't figure out how we would, you know, what role they'd play. But their mother being so religious gave us a way to throw that in there and kind of connect the dots a little bit. So I think looking, and that's tricky, I know, sometimes, but you have looking when you're trying to structure stories and figure out how you're going to create Put some context in there. Look for those opportunities where it gives you a natural kind of entry point. Yeah, and I, I knew I needed this chapter to be more than just waiting. You know what I mean? Just the waiting itself would have been really, like, arduous to have to, like, slog right. through. So it was nice to have some meat in there. And I always struggle with faith and religion. You know, like, like when do you ask somebody about that? And if you ask them, does it then prompt something that might not have been there to begin with? You know, or do you wait for it to come up naturally? And I find... Most people of faith, it does come up naturally at some point in time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I always dread if someone's going to ask me, like, oh, are you religious? Do you believe? Do you go to church? You know, and, and I was raised going to church. So I, I get that, you know, context. But Ma- Maggie and Anthony didn't have 
faith wasn't really part of their journey at the beginning when we met them, you know, mm -hmm. so it was nice that it sort of evolved as things got more dire for them. It was seriously like they were trying to find something to hold on to. And, and you know, a friend of Maggie's had mentioned her rabbi, and Anthony was like, oh, yeah, that's where my great-grandparents went. So it kind of came together in over the course of time. It wasn't like, you know, we had to bring up this idea of, like, why would God do this to your child, you know, which, of, of course, is a question any parent would ask. One of the challenges we had, of course, is that we thought this was going to all play out much faster than it did. I mean, this was not a, you know, let's plan for a three-year project. Um, and I and I think, you know, we kept asking ourselves, because you, you want to avoid a little bit of the sameness. You know, this boy is fatally ill, and he could die at any moment. But if you say that every other paragraph, then the reader is going to feel like, okay, it's the boy who cried wolf. You know, are you really – and so – um, now, with this installment and the next one, you'll see that we, we're getting to a point where it's it's really real and things in his life is really in jeopardy. And um, so, it, but anyway, that, that it was a challenge for us because there were moments that we felt like we had to draw back some and not not put too much, like, oh, yeah, he could die at any moment. We know that already, right? We've told you that already and we've, and we've kind of warned you that things could be bad and... Um, anyway, yeah, there were two other hospital visits that we just didn't even write about after yeah. that first one with the liver because it was like, okay, we don't want to have to keep going back to the hospital. Right. You know, and make like you that. feel like, oh, well, I've been here before. But. And I think the other challenge, too, is like at the same time, and with the, again, without being cliche or re hitting readers over the head with it, at the same time that, that Lincoln was living more, he was dying more. Right. You know, the longer he held on to life, the, the more broken down his body became. And that was really hard to... To convey. And, well, and you were seeing that. You were seeing right. that play out. So we got to, we had to, um, and that, it's funny, that line <laughs> was, it's in, it actually ended up in a couple of versions, a couple installments of this series. And uh, so Claire McNeil, shout out to Claire McNeil, who read behind us and, um, and uh, saved found, us from ourselves. Saved us from <laughs> ourselves because it, it is a good line and it's true. The longer, the longer he went, um, the older he, he gets, you know, the, the more tenuous it is. And, uh, so that was, but that's tricky playing this out when when you have so long to go. Right. Um, Trying to think what else we wanted to mention. Um, oh, again, I just want to say like the details that you come back with. I, I just, I again and again, I feel like you need to tell reporters this is the stuff that makes makes stories really come alive to me. And um, why you know sausage gravy and biscuits. Because that was their thing, right? That's their, they, they love that's their Sunday morning breakfast. That's their sort of celebration together. And actually, they have a pillow on their couch that says, I love you more than sausage biscuits and gravy. <laughs> but it's not random. You know, like, this is something that mattered to them. And then when they're thinking about the perfect life with their son, that's what they imagine, you know. And I, you know, again, I love that you come back with that kind of detail, that you you connect with these people and you get them to a level where, you know, they start sharing things. They're probably not even thinking of it as reporting. You know, they're not thinking of it like necessarily this is going to show up in the story. They're just trying to tell you about their lives. And all of a sudden, and like, it helps make them feel more real, more like, you know, like you know these people. Yeah, I think the, the more specific the details, you know, the, the more the readers can connect. And it's all about asking that follow-up question, you know. Right. Oh, you want to take him camping? Why do you want to take him camping? Oh, he's never seen fireflies. Oh, so you want him to see fireflies, you know. Right. Oh, it's going to be incredible for him to be able to taste something. Well, what do you want him to be able to taste? Well, what's their favorite thing to taste? You know, so I think it's just like drilling in on that follow-up question each time. Elaine to Gregory rule is at least three. Three. Oh, three follow-ups. At follow least three follow-ups. Yep. Okay. Well, in the playground, he wanted to build a play 
playground. Okay, what do you want in the playground? Well, it has to have a slide. Okay, it has to have, you know, like just asking those more more specific details. All right, so next week we'll get to the final installment. Um, if you have a question for Lane about this particular one or any, any of the stories we've read so far, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week where we'll have the final installment of Lincoln Shot. This podcast was produced by Monica Herndon. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.